Welcome to Risk Roundup. As artificial intelligence and machine learning are rapidly entering the high-tech warfare battleground, autonomous weapon systems are becoming a terrifying global reality. Reports are already emerging of complex algorithmic systems support more and more aspects of warfighting, including in navigating and utilizing unmanned naval, aerial, and terrain vehicles in producing collateral damage estimations in deploying fire and forget missile systems in using stationary systems to automate everything from personal systems and equipment maintenance to the deployment of surveillance drones, robots, and more. As autonomous weapon system progresses rapidly, the reality today is that artificial intelligence is leading us toward a new battlefield that has no boundaries or borders and may or may not have humans involved and will be impossible to understand and perhaps control. The very idea of militarization and use of lethal artificial intelligence seems to be a highly destabilizing development as it brings complex security challenges for each nation's decision maker at all levels. The positioning of autonomous weapon systems would alter the very meaning to be a human and will in no uncertain terms alter the very fundamentals of security and future of humanity and peace. Now, as further weaponization of AI is inevitable, it is important to understand and evaluate, is it possible to prevent a lethal autonomous arms race? If we cannot prevent autonomous arms race, what could go wrong? And is there any binding international law against autonomous weapon system actions that would violate the principles of humanity and the directives of public conscience. To discuss autonomous weapon system and law, I'm delighted to welcome Professor Marcus Wagner to this roundup. Professor Wagner is an associate law professor at the University of Wollongong. He's based in Australia. Welcome, Professor Wagner. We're honored to have you on this roundup. Thanks so much for having me. Wonderful, Professor Wagner. So as nations individually and collectively accelerate their efforts to gain competitive advantage in science and technology, further weaponization of AI is inevitable. How are nations weaponizing AI from your assessment and what is the state of autonomy in weapon systems as we speak? So let me start out by saying there isn't any evidence at this point that we have what what one would consider truly autonomous weapon systems right and i think we have to make a distinction between various gradations of autonomous weapon systems and and we may have to do that uh, relatively early uh, in order to understand this because what we see today are remotely operated drones on the one hand um, those are not autonomous right they're remotely operated uh, someone sits at the control um, and, and steers these weapon systems and allows for um, uh, interventions uh, at any moment in time. Uh, and so we need to shelve that in some sense in order to, uh, to get a better grasp. And there's a second category that sometimes referred to as semi-autonomous weapon systems or, or other means. I usually call them automated weapon systems. And those are weapon systems that once activated, for example, fly a pre-programmed flight path and then drop on a predetermined target, right? So those have been around for a fairly long time, right? If you go into the 1980s, 1990s, one sort of well-known example is a Tomahawk cruise missile. It's, you, shoot, you shoot the missile off, it flies a pre-programmed flight path, and then doesn't do anything in terms of self-determination, if you will, 
uh, or, or self-guidance, but simply drops on the target and explodes. Uh, and then you have autonomous weapon systems, and those are what we'll be talking about for the most part, and those are really not in existence at this time. So what defines an autonomous weapon systems, uh, system is that it can self-select, it can self-identify, it can self-select uh, the, the approach towards the target in a, within given parameters. We're, we're not talking about the termination, right? Uh, we're talking about a weapon system that is being given a particular uh, area to, uh, to, uh, to engage in, and then must be guided by principles uh, that I'm sure we'll be talking about uh, of, um, of international humanitarian law, such as the principle of distinction, principle of proportionality, uh, uh, precaution, uh, and then uh, also um, questions of individual responsibility will come up. Um, Militaries are somewhat cautious uh, in this regard, and I think um, um, there's still some time to engage in a meaningful discussion at this point uh, to steer where this is heading. No, glad to. I mean, that was a great overview, and I'm glad to hear that you know we are still not at a point where we have to be really worried about the state of the autonomous weapon system. Now, artificial intelligence still, you know, if you look at it, artificial intelligence is prepared to revolutionize warfare as we go further and as uh, more advances are happening and nations will undoubtedly develop the weapon system that this technology will make possible. And But as with all the prior technological leaps that we have seen you know, in the weapon systems, those intent on using artificial intelligence in combat will need to be mindful of the very fundamentals of the law of armed conflict that will be shifting. Now, from your assessment, is there a clear understanding of what will shift and what will change by nation's decision makers as we go further into development of uh, autonomous weapon systems? Let me let me say this. Um, I think the answer is no, but the answer is no, not only with respect to autonomous weapon systems, but the answer is also partially no with respect to autonomous vehicles, generally speaking, right? Um, uh, I, I think most policymakers don't grasp necessarily the consequences of what this may entail, right? Because um, we don't have really good uh, liability rules at this point. What happens when an autonomous vehicle in the in street traffic right now, right, uh, crashes into uh, a group of people, and how those decisions are made in emergency situations? Is, is at this point pretty indeterminate, right? This is these are this involves questions of philosophy um, that that uh, that have long plagued philosophers, um, and and I, the question is how do you implement these issues in a system that you then have to figure uh, have to let determine the situations as they come up. So it, it's really something that needs to be thought through incredibly carefully, both in the military side and the non-military side, ex ante. Right? Not when this happens, uh, but prior to deployment. And, and if you think about some of the um, uses of autonomous vehicles at this very moment in time, one criticism that people like myself would raise is that um, one shouldn't field test autonomy with respect to, say, autonomous vehicles uh, on, on our roadways in live traffic. Right? Uh, I'm personally very averse to this, um, and, and I think we should test this out um, 
much more carefully and different companies use different methodologies here. Uh, Google, for example, seems to be running um, a different model in which it basically runs a lot of testing uh, by software versus Tesla, which seems to be running some of these things uh, on a live basis. And I myself am, am, am somewhat more uh, critical of that. Sure. No, I, I, I hear your point on that. And the child, I mean, you give a great example of that uh, vehicles. And because, see, this autonomy relies on many different kinds of technology, but it's primarily software at the core. It is a software. It's a computer code. So the feasibility of autonomy depends on the ability of the software developers to formulate any intended task in terms of you know problems or solutions. They could and they could use any kind of hardware, whether it's a vehicle or whether it's a computer. It doesn't have to be a missile. So anything that has a software and that where algorithm can be used can be turned into a weapon. So that is the complex challenge that we are facing today. It's not only the tanks and missiles that we are talking about. Anything, any computer, any you know, vehicle, any uh, residence, anything can be turned into a weapon because of the way the advances in uh, software and the advances in artificial intelligence are happening. So based on that kind of complexity, those complexities, where do you see the development of autonomy in uh, weapon system taking us because we are no longer talking about what just you know military is you know developing what kind of weapons they have and how they automate that we are talking about anything that can be used as a weapon or can be turned into a weapon so let me push back a little bit uh i don't think everything can be turned into a weapon at least not for the understanding of lawyers right uh um i i I think that there are limits to what can be a weapon. I think there is, however, a larger space about this, right? And that space that has come up is cyberspace. Um, I would shelve that discussion a little bit because I think the holy grail of all of this is an autonomous weapon in cyberspace. I don't think we're there yet. Um, but, but we're certainly seeing cyber attacks. Um, those, at least from what one can tell, um, it, are, are not autonomous, autonomous as such, but um, my work so far is more focused on uh, sort of, if you will, the real world uh, weapons, kinetic energy being being deployed on particular targets. Um, and there, I think you're right. Where there, there is a certain inevitability, it seems, uh, towards the development of autonomous weapon systems. And the question then really is, and this is what my work has been um, uh, trying to do for the last uh, now almost eight years, um, is. To, one needs to have an engagement with different epistemic communities in this space, right? We see uh, military uh, uh, planners, uh, you see soldiers, uh, you see uh, engineers, um, uh, you see lawyers, and they all speak somewhat different languages, right? Everyone comes in with their own uh, intuitions and the, their own way of thinking about these things. And that is somewhat unfortunate from my perspective. Um, and, and one of the things that uh, people like myself uh, and we here at Willingham will try to do is to come up with a language that actually everyone can sort of latch onto, right? So that we actually are talking about uh, the same questions because then the, the, the real task is at some point, because my own take is autonomous weapon systems from a moral perspective are problematic, but I think it will come. Uh, they will come into existence. Uh, the question then is, how do you translate the legal rules into machine code, 
right? And or software code. Um, and that I think is a really crucial bit. So one has to then uh, come up with a language that everyone understands uh, and that everyone understands what's actually going on in autonomous weapon systems, because otherwise we come up with, with something that I've termed a system of organized irresponsibility, where everyone points the finger at any, everyone else um, if something were to go wrong, right? And, and so I think that's, uh, that's uh, certainly one thing to be avoided. Of course, no, I think you made a very you know, important point that we all need to speak the same language. And that is uh, going to be very essential as we go forward, that we, as we develop the guidelines, as we, de as we develop the standards, because it's not ab only about one nation uh, development of autonomous weapon system. All nations will go further you know, in the development of that. And they all need to speak the same language so that we can come up with you know, proper standards and proper nomenclature and, you know, things like that but the point to what i was making is earlier is that you know there are also a lot of uh, developments happening where you know the chips will be uh, embedded into the human brain uh, for uh, learning further or you know forget down downloading more language and you know many such developments are happening so my concern is you know that you know anything would be in in theory, anything we would be able to uh, weaponize it by, and we'll be able to automate it by sending in algorithms. You know, terrorists may be able to uh, turn human uh, those chips embedded into the human brain also as a weapon. So there are lot. These are just still in theory, but these the developments are happening in that direction. So there are a lot of concerns if we look at everything you know holistically, but. Let's go back to talking about the nation's development. Like many nations, like you know, United States and China, they're all already developing advanced systems with uh, autonomous features. And in future combat, will therefore you know occur at a uh, very rapid pace, uh, where perhaps you know human operators will simply not be able to keep up. That's what you know the predictions are. So, are we heading towards a time where advanced weapon systems? may well create an environment so complex for humans that it would be very difficult to control. So I, I think you're right. Uh, the, uh, my, own, my own prediction is, and I think that of many others in, in, in my sort of field, is that this will be incremental, right? We won't see the armies of drones, right? I don't mean flying drones, but the but sort of droids uh, come marching out. We'll see. And you use a term uh, uh, that, I, that I quite like and, and have used myself is systems with autonomous capabilities. It just isn't as, as, as short as autonomous weapon systems, right? Uh, because you will see autonomy coming into, uh, say, the battle space uh, at various increments. Right? And again, I will, do, I will draw the parallel with, with vehicular car traffic. We already see that, right? Uh, we see lane assist, we see all sorts of systems that are now assisting us. They're not particularly smart. Um, if, if the paint isn't painted correctly, then the systems all of a sudden fail to, to recognize whether there's an extra lane there and they would steer you somewhere else uh, or not steer at all. Um, but, but the way forward will be incremental and we will see systems with autonomous capabilities sort of creeping in. And then the question is, how do you assign responsibility? So one of these issues is how do you assign responsibility for the actions of an autonomous system? Uh, and that become, can become really, really tricky and have, may have really have consequences that some of the people who are working in the space may not realize. Um, one of the discussions I've had for, uh, and, and something I've voiced for a few years now is that programmers can all of a sudden become combatants, yes. right? So 
So Silicon Valley, if you will, uh, or any other place around the world in which there, and I would say only if there's a continuous feedback loop that goes into legal technicalities, but if there's a continuous feedback loop uh, where the systems are being monitored and enhanced basically on the go, then one could make the argument that all of a sudden um, uh, programmers who otherwise would not be considered to be combatants would all of a sudden become legitimate targets, right? Uh, and I think uh, that hasn't that hasn't occurred to some of the policymakers or the engineers that all of a sudden they may become legitimate targets under the uh, law of armed conflict or um, uh, international law. Yes, I mean these are very complex challenges, and uh, in addition, the computing capabilities of uh, not only the recent but the future autonomous weapon system will be exponentially faster and so much powerful than you know what we are uh, used to seeing now as the further you know development happens and the hardware that will be required will be very small we it's uh, those are the kind of changes that we are moving towards and these autonomous systems will also be equipped with uh, perhaps you know by the time we would have reached the advanced you know artificial general intelligence where you know they in the machine intelligence will be equivalent to the human intelligence so that those systems that we developed will will adapt and learn by observing their environment it will be just like you know human you know intelligence as it learns more by the experience so that will also learn more by experience so it is going to create many complex challenges because we just don't know where it's going so uh, if we it seems that uh, we need to understand where we are right now where we are going and as the ai has many components i mean when when we look at it that the components are like machine learning the ability to understand natural language and the ability to interact with human beings in a human like manner as that uh, interactions also develop and as the more advances happen so it it seems almost like biologically inspired neural network algorithms uh, you know will be applied for warfare analysis so when an autonomous system kills so now the questions that are coming are more for you know from a legal perspective that when an autonomous system kills who is going to be responsible for the killing whether that killing is justified or not so, so that's a question I've been asking for quite a while. Um, there, again, if you, I've tried to identify at one point, sort of at various stages, who could be held responsible, but then the question becomes one of how do you assign responsibility within a chain, right? And that's always complex. Uh, in, 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 in complex decision-making processes, it's always very difficult to assign uh, legal responsibility and has been for quite some time, both in the civilian and in the military. Uh, arenas. And so my starting point would be, look, uh, programmers could potentially uh, be held responsible if they don't implement what is being given as a directive into, into the code. Um, then you have decision makers who, uh, on the military side, test, are supposed to test these systems uh, with their compatibility of uh, what's called the, uh, the Geneva Conventions, essentially. Uh, and and um, the problem there may be uh, that some of the decision makers on the public side, i.e. on the military side, may not have the capable, uh, the technical capabilities to actually understand what the systems actually do, right, in a granular format. I'm not saying that I do, but if you take 
those um, those obligations seriously uh, under uh, additional protocol one to the Geneva Conventions, uh, then you would have to say you really have to have a thorough understanding of the system that you are allowing to be put on the battlefield. Uh, then you have high-level commanders who say we will deploy particular systems in a, any particular campaign. Uh, and then you have the frontline personnel who deploys the system into, into combat, right? And so you could probably come up with more people uh, along the, that chain, but I think those are sort of the rough um, uh, elements. And, and it's usually the last person in the chain of command who may be held responsible. And my own criticism is if the frontline person, if that person who was supposed to do the testing may not be capable of understanding the system fully and they have time, they're supposed to have time and certify all of this, much less will the frontline person be able to actually understand what it exactly is that they're doing and the machine is doing that, uh, that they're deploying, right? Um, I, I just don't expect that those people will be programmers at the caliber to understand what the black box that sits in front of them is capable of doing or what exactly will do given any particular situation. Um, because real autonomy involves an element, at least from my perspective, an element of discretion, right? So that you um, leave it to the system to say, if I have three weapons, I will deploy the most appropriate for the circumstances at the time, uh, and that may have to do with um, how much military personnel is there, the hardening of the target, how much many civilians are in the area, and so forth. That then becomes a question of discretion, and that really is a fun, from my perspective, not something that's pre-programmed, um, um, because that would merely be automated. Yes, that's very true. I mean, this is very complex because this is centered around the software, these autonomous weapon systems. So the responsibility is, you know, lies from, like you said, you know, the software engineers who write the code or operators or the commanders who supervise them. So that brings us, you know, another question is that uh, do who, eva who audits the kind of algorithms that are being written by these uh, software engineers, uh, whether, you know, there is a embedded instruction into it to not follow the laws that are the humanitarian law or any other laws that are established by respective nations. So how the challenge is going to be that who is going to be uh, intelligent enough or who will have the capability or if there is any entity or organization that will have capability to audit all these algorithms that are, you know, used into development of autonomous weapon systems. And how will the testing and verification of these increasingly autonomous weapons be handled in a way that will create enough transparency and some level of confidence for everyone involved to reach international agreement to avoid worst case scenarios of mutual destruction because once these autonomous you know uh, warfare uh, starts then it's going to be very difficult to stop it and you know the threat lies into the destruction of humanity so th this is a very complex challenge and i'm just not sure if we have any entity who can you know effectively uh, do the testing and verification and audit at this point so Again, I'm going to push back slightly on this, right? Uh, I, I personally don't see that doomsday scenario of once we have the autonomous systems going, that they will not stop, right? Uh, the way targeting works uh, in militaries, it's a fairly complex process. Uh, and there's, at this, at this point at least, a fairly large uh, number of human capabilities involved and large decision-making, or large number of the decision-making processes are human controlled. 
the, the utility of an uh, autonomous weapon system is that once you say this is the appropriate system for this particular targeting uh, campaign, then you don't have to have that level of human involvement and endangerment of your own soldiers uh, to do this. So I'm not talking as much about sort of the, the armies of droids that start marching and so forth and do their own thing, because I think that's that's futuristic and very far off in the future. Um, but but the more immediate concern is, as you say, how do we verify? How do we? Uh, how are we able uh, to monitor? Uh, my own take is that we won't. Right, uh, won't be able to because this is national security. Uh, this is a sensitive area for all uh, governments. Um, the the problem already prior to autonomous weapon systems is that this particular provision that I've been talking about, which is Article Thirty Six of the Additional Protocol uh, One of the Geneva Conventions, and no, it's a mouthful, but this is the lawyerly language that we speak, um, requires governments to certify that these particular weapon systems are um, um, uh, compatible with the rules of, uh, in, in uh, additional protocol one, for example, or um, uh, other uh, agreements. The problem is that already at this point, Article 36 and, and historically has been, I wouldn't say a toothless tiger, but it's always been in the discretion of the governments to say, we think this is, uh, this is compatible. And for the most part, that's been true. Right? Uh, the, the challenge here is that um, governments are going to be low, I would say averse or not willing at all, um, to put out the code because that's really valuable, right? The code of embedding um, autonomy into a weapon systems is what makes everything work, right? Because if you make it open source and then everyone, again, is on the same playing field. So I don't think we'll have a, um, a verification process in that same way. That said, um, there is a uh, process underway in, in the, uh, convention, uh, the convention on certain uh, uh, conventional weapons, uh, the CCW, um, and, and, um, and that process centers around the question of what's considered meaningful human control. Right? Um, I'm personally fairly critical of this term because it can mean everything and nothing. Right? Uh, what's meaningful to some is not meaningful to others. Um, the, there is a uh, fairly robust debate over whether one should have autonomous weapon systems at all. And there you see everything from a complete ban to moratorium. Um, to a uh, let a thousand flowers bloom uh, approach, right? And the, the majority of countries seems to be uh, heading towards uh, or, or preferring a non-development of autonomous weapon systems. But the problem is that the same technology that you use for autonomous weapon systems is really useful uh, in other areas, right? Such as autonomous vehicles on the roadways. Um, because some of, at least some of the um, software uh, that one develops one could be used in the other, right? And so uh, it, it's not at all clear to me that we will get a ban. Um, um, and then make a mistake. Uh, there may really be good reasons to deploy autonomous weapon systems at some or certain for certain issues. I'm fairly critical because I don't think uh, autonomous weapon systems are, at least at this point, capable of abiding by what's called uh, the principle of proportionality. Um, but I'm at least open to say that they may, at some point, uh, be able to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly skeptical, but at least uh, one needs to be open towards the possibility 
that this may happen. Um, uh, but there is this fairly robust debate uh, in, in annual uh, uh, meetings uh, in Geneva about this very issue. So it's not a space that's not being debated internationally. Uh, the CCW wouldn't be uh, going into countries to try to verify um, um, uh, the, the compatibility of any weapon systems with, uh, say, Article 36. It's simply not in its mandate. Because um, international law is, for better or worse, based on consent, right? Countries have to consent uh, towards particular rules. Uh, I think this it would be a very smart rule to have um, a strong sort of element of human control so that we know exactly um, who is responsible responsible for what uh, uh, whatever action a Thomas weapon system takes. I'm just very skeptical of myself that this is actually that we're able, that we're capable of designing systems in a way that that, that can do that. Right. Uh, I speak to engineers every now and again. Uh, and they and some of them swear that they can do this. Um, I'm not convinced yet. Um, and that, again, this is part of a debate between speaking the same language between, say, engineers and lawyers. Sure. Um, sure. I mean, this is not only about the, uh, what we have right now, the capability, but what capability we could develop. So uh, we have to, you know, evaluate all different kinds of scenarios. So from your assessment, you think that the existing laws are effective or do you, do you think we need new sets of laws and legal framework? And if we do need new sets of laws and legal framework, how do we develop these, you know, new international law to prevent the autonomous weapon system armed proliferation that could be a threat to the humanity? So that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good question. I have struggled with that particular issue, right? So uh, some of my colleagues say we need a completely new set of rules. Um, I, I tend to be on the side that the existing rules are pretty good at what they are, even though some people don't like them because um, safe proportionality really creates an issue in programming proportionality, because from my perspective, at least, uh, simplistic as that may be, um, it's a qualitative exercise to determine, and now I'm getting slightly into the weeds, uh, forgive me for this, but um, uh, under um, um, the additional protocol one, you need to, uh, any, any attack needs to be proportionate, it's not exactly the wording, um, must not be excessive, right? So the, the, uh, the, the civilian damage must not be excessive with respect uh, to the anticipated direct military advantage. Uh, that is a qualitative exercise. You can't easily program that, right? Uh, that's a value judgment oftentimes. Um, whether something is a tank or a school bus, that's a, called the principle of distinction, um, uh, or there the principle of distinction applies rather, um, that I think at some point we'll be able to do and do fairly well. There are still going to be gray areas in which this is not possible, right? Someone carrying a weapon doesn't necessarily mean that that person is a combatant in a very, uh, in, in certain parts of the world, people carry weapons for self-protection, for hunting, for whatever. Doesn't necessarily mean that person is a, a target. But whether something's a tank or something is a, uh, a school bus, I think at some point we'll be able to do this. Yes, very, but, very true. But, but, whether and at what point, and this is the tricky part, right? At what point do you tip over from saying the military value of this particular target is so high that I'm allowed to kill more people? And you have to accept that that's what we do in, in, in armed conflict slash war, that we're allowed to kill 
an, a certain number of people. Um, and, and engineers always often know, is often ask me, well, you have to give me a value for human life. And I say, I can give you a predetermined value for every human life because this is context dependent, right? Um, if there are five bridges across a particular river section, the particular value of any particular bridge isn't very high. But if there's only one left, right, that is an incredibly high military value potentially. And then all of a sudden everything changes, right? You, it's, it's a dynamic situation in which you have at least two variables and both are susceptible to change. The direct military advantage and the, 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 the potential um, um, uh, damage uh, for civilians or civilian objective, ob objects, right? And so that's why I say at this point that the, the compatibility, I don't see it being possible unless engineers are coming up with a really good way of, of making those determinations. And we see some debates there uh, in, 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 say, the, um, the autonomous vehicle space as well. Um, um, and, and I don't think we're, we're at a stage yet where um, we've reached that level of sophistication. Um, so from that perspective, Perhaps, but then you know that also brings another question: is that if we, if let's say you know the autonomous warfare system develops in the worst possible way that we are all you know worried about, that it should or concerned that it should not go uh, that path, then why not we put some legal controls at this point, saying that if there is an autonomous warfare uh, happening, then that should be between only the machines. And then the, we should put some sort of code in the algorithms that would specifically, you know, prohibit killing any individual human being that that should humans should never be a target of you know autonomous warfare and then if there is autonomous warfare happening let that be just between you know different uh, machines or different you know weapons that could you know prevent a lot of you know concerns that we all are having at this point that it could impact uh, uh, humanity and but again you know that's just a thought i i wish that you know People, the decision makers come to that point and decide that let just that be a war between, you know, weapons and let machines and let not, you know, any human being be, ever be a target of uh, uh, such warfare. But anyway, talking but let, about the, let, me, let me interrupt you there because this is, a, I, I like that thought, right? Um, but, but that, I think that presupposes that, that um, we have a fairly um, static slash um, clean environment. Right, in which you can identify that the other side uses an, uh, an autonomous, autonomous systems as well, um, and therefore all of a sudden we recognize and sort of we play chess. Right? Uh, look, from my perspective, we should play chess to, to win wars to begin with, and we don't have any human casualties. But we're not. We've never been there, and we won't get there. But um, but reality is much more messy than that. Right? Um, and, and, and you've seen this, again, I keep drawing analogies to, to autonomous vehicles, but I actually quite like that because for most people that's fairly, that's much more concrete. Um, when, uh, I forget when this was, I think it was in March of this year when uh, a woman was hit by, uh, by an autonomous system, I think it was in, in the Western United States somewhere and died. Um, and I think she was pushing a bicycle or riding a bicycle. And then people said, uh, oh, she, was, she shouldn't have done this. She should only have done this uh, at a crosswalk, right? Uh, to which I respond, I'm a cyclist myself. 
uh, and I'm a pedestrian, and everyone is a pedestrian, but if you look at the design of some of the roadways, there are no crosswalks for miles, right? And so um, some of the Silicon Valley uh, um, um, uh, funders and said, well, you, we should design, people should not interfere with the design of the system, right? And to my mind, that's backwards. Uh, you need to design the system for reality as it is and not design the system for the reality that you want to have, right? So that we all of a sudden only use crosswalks. No one does that, right? Uh, except for maybe a few parts of the world where there's plenty of crosswalks or uh, the penalties are so draconian. But I lived in the United States and in certain parts of the United States and elsewhere around the world, there are no crosswalks for miles. And so why should this person not be able to cross? Should there, there be lights and should there be uh, other identifying signals? Sure. Uh, but, but the whole point is reality is messy. And from my perspective, the systems need to conform to reality and not, we shouldn't design reality to conform to the systems, right? So because in the civilian space, that would basically mean that we don't have pedestrians and we don't have pe uh, uh, cyclists because they're pesky, right? Um, um, and, and I myself am much too much of a cyclist to, to sort of wish for that, but that's a different point. I hope that there's an echo. I hope that. I hope that what is going on? I hope that uh, we are able to come up with uh, consensus that we should never, uh, human beings are never a target, and then you know the autonomous warfare has to be just between machines. But in reality, we also know that how difficult to, it will be to come to those kind of agreement. And that's the reason we need to discuss the international humanitarian law, that are the current rules of international humanitarian law defined specifically for autonomous weapon systems? or And who is responsible for it? If not, then who is responsible for ensuring that any autonomous weapon system must be capable capable of being used and must be used in accordance with you know international humanitarian law. So I don't think I answered your question beforehand. So thanks for asking that question again. Um, so I, like I said, my own take is that the current rules are adequate, um, um, but uh, some people don't like that answer because under the current rules, as they stand, they may not be permissible because they don't adhere. Uh, or aren't capable of adhering to some of the standards that I, I mentioned, and that, that uh, if you want, I can go into greater detail. Um, so, international law is, is this funny sort of uh, material uh, or area in which you just have to accept that states are, well, to, at least to a certain extent, accept uh, that states are the masters of the rules that they want to live by, right? Uh, so, unlike in domestic situations, states can determine to a degree uh, that they want to abide by certain rules or they do not want to abide by certain rules, right? And this is the discussion in the, in, uh, in the CCW that happens at the moment uh, where you see some states saying, we don't need to change anything, whereas other states will argue, we need uh, new rules or we need to apply the existing rules such that the systems, uh, that systems with autonomous capabilities would not be permissible as they, as at least as things stand at this particular moment in time, right? Um, um, like I said, my own take is that, that we don't need new rules. Uh, the, 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 the existing wep or weapon systems in development need to conform to what we have because I think they, they work fairly well. Um, uh, and and 
But there are other people out there who will say we need uh, an entirely new set of rules for autonomous systems. My own criticism of that is that that will have a pushback effect or, or a, um, uh, an effect on the existing rules of armed conflict that we already have, and that may weaken the protections for civilians um, uh, further. Uh, I myself don't see a world in which uh, civilians are, and I say this unfortunately, um, um, I don't see a world, unfortunately, in which civilians will not be, not the targets, but will not be what's generally called collateral damage in targeting, right? Because um, we don't live in a Napoleonic world and even then it wasn't sort of, it wasn't uh, as clear cut where you could easily distinguish between friend, uh, like uh, combatants and non-combatants. Um, that was on the battlefields of yesterday, of centuries past, uh, but we live in space in, in, in an area where you have the battle space is much more complicated. It's human, uh, uh, it's urban warfare. Uh, and that really is uh, the trick, I think, for, for the future to make autonomous systems capable of that. Right, to be able to engage in urban warfare, which is a much more complicated space um, uh, than, than anything else, because um, yes, as you can imagine, uh, a, a radar installation in the desert is relatively simple. Yes, right? yes. Um, yes. Putting that very same target uh, or putting an individual or individuals or combatants in a convoluted uh, urban space, for example, that's much more tricky with respect to the principle of distinction, proportionality, precautions, and Yes, very true. Now, uh, do, do you, how will we ensure compliance with international humanitarian law? And I mean, will there be any limits uh, that we have to specify that would be needed on autonomy in weapon system to ensure the compliance with international humanitarian law? So look, from my perspective, it should be the same standards as we have at the moment. Right? And the problem is that the, the standards are somewhat fluid. If you see proportionality, if you look at proportionality, there's a relatively wide latitude. And in, in, in warfare overall, it's not the perfect hindsight um, determination that we sometimes have, but it's for the commanding officer or for the soldier at that particular moment in time, that's the, the, the position, right? With all the information that are, they have or should have, uh, to make that determination uh, as, uh, at, but from an ex-ante perspective, not from a hindsight 2020, potentially 2020 perspective. Um, so from my perspective, like I said, I would retain the existing rules um, with modifications potentially with respect to the accountability part, not with respect to distinction or proportionality. I think those need to remain in place uh, if, we, if we want to ensure even a semblance, and I say semblance, um, of, uh, of humane warfare. Because even today, even today, you can have contraventions of humanitarian law with human beings. Human beings aren't perfect. But the one thing human beings are, they're susceptible to punishment, whereas a machine is not susceptible to punishment because there's no agency. I know some of my colleagues are very adamant in saying that there will be agency. I, I just don't see that, right? Um, and and I, I'm trying, I'm, 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 I keep pushing that question at that time is, how do you punish that particular machine, quote unquote, right? Because the only thing that you could do is to shut it off, but the code is going to be embedded in so many other different systems 
that you would have to shut the, the code off. And that's, that's far too valuable. So that's not going to happen, right? So we have to go back to humans. Um, that's where the complex challenge is, right? I mean, how do you punish a machine? Because you my perspective is don't. You can't. You can't. Because the machine is the machine is not punishable, right? You need agency, human agency for punishment. What would be the punishment? The punishment would be to shut the machine off, but the machine doesn't care. Uh, and if you shut that machine off, you should, would theoretically have to shut every other machine off because it, it, the same software code is embedded in every other, at least with respect to distinction proportionality, one would assume uh, in one military, the same rules apply or are embedded in these different systems. So to me, that doesn't work, right? Uh, so the punishment needs to be towards human beings. You need to have, this is why the CCW talks about meaningful human control. Um, the, the, uh, the US Department of Defense uses a slightly different terminology, but basically uh, means the same, uh, same thing. Um, um, and again, I think the, 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 the question is, how do you assign responsibility towards humans? And just like in complex civilian uh, areas, you may end up with systems, that, like I said before, that I call systems of organized irresponsibility, where it's really hard to figure out who's to blame because no one has the full panoply of oversight. Um, and if we've learned anything from sort of the history of international humanitarian law and international criminal law, it's usually the people on the front line that get, get punished and not the people who are responsible for building the systems in the first place. Sure. No, I, I hear you. I mean, this is a very this is going to be a very complex uh, uh, question that uh, we will need to come up with some proper solution because it's how do you control? How do you regulate? How do you govern these kind of machines uh, where you know it's just algorithms and do you destroy the algorithm completely and destroy all the uh, machines that uh, have that embedded algorithm or? How do you go forward, or you just uh, destroy the algorithm and not the machine? So it's it's a very complex uh, question that we'll still have to think about how to address that. But in the beginning, I remember I recall you describing different uh, categories of autonomous weapon systems. Some are semi, some are full, and some are you know automatic weapon defense systems. So should there be different laws for all these different categories, or? Should we develop just one comprehensive law and uh, all of these different categories should uh, follow that? So for me, there's only one category of autonomy, right? Uh, we have remote controlled, we have automated, and we have autonomous systems. Uh, and, and yes, those exist on the spectrum, right? Because some automated systems may have elements of autonomy and some uh, autonomous systems may have, systems, uh, may have elements of uh, automation or even remote control, right? So you can take over uh, during, during deployment or red-carded or, or other sorts of things. Um, do we need different rules for different, uh, for different categories? I don't think so, personally, because if, no matter what you have, remotely operated systems, auto automated systems, or an autonomous system, you still need to abide by the principle of distinction, uh, which says you need to distinguish between civilian objects and military objects. You'd still need to abide by the principle of proportionality. Um, the damage to civilian objects or civilians must not be excessive in relation to the direct and anticipated military advantage. And you still need to take all the precautions. Um, the distinction, if you will, but I don't think we need different rules, is with respect to the attribution of, account, of personal accountability. Because as we just said, yes. Yes. We, don't have, we don't punish the, the robot, quote unquote. I don't like the term robot. We don't punish the, 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 the 
the software because we can't. If anything, we need to hold liable in individuals, right? And when you have a remotely operated system, it's relatively clear. The line of responsibility is relatively clear. Uh, and I say relatively because you can still see some gray areas there. Sure. Uh, with, with, with automated, it's also somewhat clear because you have a predetermined flight path in, in the case of, of a cruise missile. Um, with autonomy, it's somewhat different, right? They, I think that the real tricky part is that. Um, and and there, uh, I don't see, we'll have to, and unfortunately, well, sort of law always runs behind us a little bit, right? Uh, law always tries to catch up in, in a weird way. Um, I think the best thing you can do is to try to get autonomous systems, whether the military or elsewhere, to have a good audit trail. That what decision has led to this particular outcome? And, only, and that's true for civilian applications, uh, say in the healthcare sector, um, or in the military sector, or in, in uh, for autonomous vehicles, again, on, on civilian roadways. Right? You need to have an audit trail uh, in which um, the system tells you afterwards if something if, say, a war crime was committed, um, which which everyone always says will never happen, I'm skeptical, war crimes will happen even with autonomous systems. Um, why was this particular action done on, on the basis of what, and how do we trace it back, right? And so I think that's uh, potentially one way of ensuring that. My only concern is that the systems are so complex that even that audit trail yeah, it is it's going to be very difficult to implement, right? Uh, software runs over potentially generations of people who are no longer there. Then you would have to then say, well, the next person will have to certify that this is still in compliance with. That's in theory all possible. Uh, again, reality is very messy. Yes, uh, very very complex. I mean, I, I, we all hope that there is no. Uh, warfare that is uh, going to be based on autonomous uh, weapon system but if it does then let it be just between the machines and if it's not between machines and if we cannot control it and if humans are target then how do we define how much collateral damage will be acceptable because like you were just talking about that you know if we should uh, uh, keep an eye on the trail where the machine is going on audit that but let's say you know if uh, uh, autonomous uh, warfare machine is targeting a, a drone that they want to destroy just an example and mm -hmm. if the drone is in a in a human you know i mean large human civilized area then how does the how does a machine determine that whether it should take out the drone whether it's in a, on a city or whether it should wait till it you know reaches some area where there are there won't be any human uh, uh, damage. So how how would you define? I mean, these are very complex scenarios that we have to train uh, the machines with, or machines will have to train themselves. And that seems to be very complex because now we are talking about collateral damage and how much collateral damage is acceptable. Look, the, the for autonomous weapon systems, the good thing is that we have those discussions already, and we don't have in, in a weird way we don't have the answer to. Right? Because if you ask different people, you will come up with different answers. That's the real problem. Right? We have some uh, guidelines as to what proportionality exists of, but we have this, again, this tricky term, not excessive, right? Or must not be excessive. 
And excessive is one of those malleable legal terms that you can fill, put everything into. So it's not a problem specific to autonomous systems. My only point is that, that by default, almost, autonomous systems, if we're not thinking uh, decades and decades potentially ahead, um, but if we're thinking about sort of the near and midterm, um, then, then these qualitative decision-making processes are just not susceptible to, 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 uh, to, to machine learning, at least from my perspective. I, I can be convinced that this, is, that this at some point will be the case, but I don't see it at this point yet. Um, so the, 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 but the problem that you've described is already in existence at this particular moment in time, even for humans, right? To take out a high value target, do you wait for until that target has moved into a less populated area? Because we will never have clean warfare, right? We will always have civilians as part of the casualty uh, mix, unfortunately. Um, the, the, the question becomes how robust do you want the principle of proportionality to be? Um, uh, in, in international armed conflict or uh, non-international armed conflict, it's accepted that you will have some level of, um, uh, of collateral damage, as you would say. Um, and, and it just must not be excessive, right, with respect to the anticipated military advantage, direct military advantage that you have at this particular moment in time. Again, these are two things that are already difficult uh, now. Um, my own take is that you just... I just have trouble understanding how you you develop a system in which you deal with this in an ex-ante fashion, right? Because you would have to assign a value, and not a static value, but a dynamic value um, to every object around, right? Um, 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 and uh, not only objects, but also civilian uh, individuals, of course, right? Um, and, and that goes into and sort of philosophical questions uh, between utilitarians and Kantians that, uh, that, that uh, we probably don't want to go into. Um, but that's partially uh, at the core of this debate, right? Uh, some people will be loath, and I think rightly so, to ever assign a, a value to human life. Uh, whereas in some uh, legal systems, that's perfectly, that's done on a fairly regular basis uh, in, in the administrative decision-making processes, right? uh, human safety and so forth. Yes, I think the question we all individually and collectively need to answer is uh, what comes first, technology or values? I mean, should we allow technology to uh, drive our agenda or drive our values or should uh, our values drive our technologies, the development of technology? So I think that is at the heart of the you know, discussion uh, should be at the heart of the discussion because otherwise, you know, if we don't keep values at the center of uh, what we are doing, what kind of technologies we are developing and what kind of advances we want as a human society, then we, we are going to face many, many complex challenges coming our way. Having said that, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners? Look, I think uh, the, the, the last thing you said was something that I would have mentioned actually, right? The, the, the sort of perennial debate between what comes first? Do we let the technology drive the process or not? Uh, as, an, as someone who's been working in this space for quite some time, I would prefer that we at least have a robust debate 
uh, not about what's technologically possible, because that seems to be the mindset for some people, that just simply says, I have a problem and I want to solve that problem. Um, but, but we need to have a robust debate about the values that we want to enshrine there. Right? And, and I think that's something that we, uh, that, that we may be on the way towards doing, but I think the, the, um, the attraction of autonomous weapon systems for policy decision makers right, and political decision makers is relatively high. Uh, and I think that's where the real debate needs to take place. Uh, my own experience is that the military uh, is relatively susceptible to these arguments. Right? They're not as as straightforward with respect to we want autonomous weapon systems at all costs, but it's oftentimes political decision makers or policy makers that seem to find those systems very, very attractive because look, you don't have to face the political blowback, if you will, of, of individuals dying, right? Um, um, and, and, and so um, my own take is we will have autonomous systems or systems with autonomous capabilities at the very least uh, at some not so distant future, right? And they will creep into the military space just as they will in the civilian space. And I think we need to have a much more robust debate over the responsibility, the rules, the primary rules of how to govern these things, but also, and this is the crucial bit, of how do we assign responsibility, right? Uh, that we don't end up uh, with a system of organized irresponsibility, but rather we can assign responsibility, maybe not 100% of the time, but at, the, at least at a very, very high fraction uh, of, of, or a very large number of the situations overall. Very true. No, that's a, uh, that's excellent point. So thank you so much, Professor Wagner, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on the uh, co complex uh, autonomous weapon systems that are coming our way and what role uh, the law will have to play or will play, you know, uh, in the in not only today, but in the coming tomorrow also. And our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided today. So even if a single decision maker is able to understand complex security risk emerging, from autonomous weapon systems or effectively manage the legal implications after listening to this discussion. This Risk Roundup Dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Thank you. Wonderful. So Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology convergence and transformation happening across cyberspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that Risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secured for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security, so if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the Risk Roundups, to watch the Risk Roundup webcast or hear the Risk Roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundups, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.